Sometimes church can be the biggest obstacle keeping people from Jesus. Welcome to New Life. Sometimes the church can be the biggest obstacle keeping people from Jesus. You just prayed that I'd be bold. So let me offer that statement to you one more time. Sometimes the church can be the biggest obstacle keeping people from Jesus. Our behaviors, our practices, our unspoken rules can communicate to people, you're not welcome. Last week, we looked at uh, the part in Jesus' life where he begins to enact a parable rather than tell a parable. He's going into the city of Jerusalem. We're nearing the end of Luke's uh, story about Jesus, what we sometimes call the good news story of Jesus or the gospel according to Luke. And we've been tracking with Jesus from Galilee, his hometown, all the way south for 10 chapters into chapter 19 till we get to Jesus entering the city. And we're going to read that again. But last week we were looking at that, that Jesus confronts the politics of power and violence in the world. This week, he's entering the temple. And much the same thing is going on where Jesus is confronting the things that they're doing that are keeping people from having access to Jesus. Let's read part of what we looked at last week about Jesus weeping over the city, and then we're going to look at Jesus entering the temple. This is in Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 41. As he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. This is Jesus that he's speaking about. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side, and they will crush you to the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept the opportunity for salvation or you missed the visitation from God. And then the very next verse, Luke tells us, Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out people selling animals for sacrifices. And he said to them, the scriptures declare that my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. After that, he taught daily in the temple. But the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. But they could think of nothing, because all the people hung on every word he said. So today, we're looking at how Jesus confronts the politics of power and violence that are sometimes in the church or in religious institutions. And this is one of those fun times where I'm hoping that we can see what Jesus is doing, understand what he was doing then, and then ask the question, how does that work for us today? What does that mean for us today? You know, if we just go back to these verses that Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out people selling animals for sacrifices, and he said, the scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. See, last week, Jesus is coming into the city 
And he's at the gates of the city of Jerusalem. So he was coming up and over the Mount of Olives, and he was coming down the other side of the Mount of Olives. And if you've been to Jerusalem, uh, it's just think of a valley, and you're looking across the valley, and you can see the temple complex. He's, he's coming down to the, from the north, and he's seeing the temple complex. And when he gets to the gates of the city, he begins to cry. And he's upset. So at the city gates, he's crying. But when he gets to the temple, he's cleaning house. And that's a curious thing. There's this sense in the story that we're looking at today of this weeping kind of grace and this cleansing kind of judgment. And those are the words that we're not sure what to do about sometimes. Judgment. Some of us love the word judgment, especially when we're talking about it in church. And others of us feel uncomfortable about that. And sometimes we're not sure what to do with a God who's crying. Because I didn't think God was supposed to be that way. And others are very comfortable about that. But if we, if we look at the part that we kind of touched on last week briefly, here's Jesus at the city and he's crying. He is weeping because he knows how hard it is for people to understand who he is and how he operates and what he's inviting them to. So often Jesus is calling people into his way of life, into allowing him to be their ruler. And it's difficult for people. And Jesus is weeping, I think, out of grace because he knows how difficult it is. We just sang a song here this morning. I love the song. Um, I think it's called Wonder, but... You know, I see the Jesus way, and I'm not afraid to follow. And then sometimes we realize actually some of what he's asking us to do in following, and we realize like, oh, maybe I better rethink that line in the song, because I'm a little uncomfortable with what you're asking me to do, Jesus, and how you're asking me to be. And I think part of the, the weeping of Jesus is is an understanding that it is so hard for us to change when everything that's coming at us is telling us to be one way. And Jesus says, actually, what I'm offering you is completely different. And you need to give that up so that you can follow me where I want you to go. And there's this weeping kind of grace in Jesus, who is so aware of the difficulties we face in following him and, and receiving what he wants to give us. And then from entering the city, and, and maybe something to point out, is I think when Luke is writing and he's talking about Jerusalem, it's often this kind of reference that Jerusalem doesn't necessarily represent all of Israel, but it is the epicenter of the Jewish people. It's the main city. Like everybody in Canada knows that the main city that represents all of Canada is Toronto, right? Those of you who are out west are thinking like, you're nuts. But for, for this people, Jerusalem is the place where it's at. And so Jesus is entering Jerusalem and already there's confrontation where he's, where he's pleading with them with tears in his eyes, if only you could understand what it means to let go and actually follow me into these ways that are so contrary to what you think is proper and appropriate. 
And so Jerusalem represents kind of the people, but the temple is like the heart of the heart. The temple is the beating heart of the entire nation. The temple is the very place where God lives. And and as he's coming into the city and as he's coming into the temple, what we find is Jesus going in and he's turning everything over and he's creating chaos and he's doing it with tears in his eyes. He's weeping. He's sobbing. And he's knocking over tables. And he's chasing people out of the temple complex with tears in his eyes. And I found myself as I was reading this passage and thinking about us, thinking about the church in general, the the big C church, and I found this question coming into my head again and again. What makes Jesus cry when he thinks about us? You know, and I, I put up here what would make Jesus cry when he thinks about our community. And then I thought, you know, that's not the right question. Because when I ask what would make Jesus cry, that makes us all assume that Jesus, if he ever did come here, might find something. And I'm like, no, wait a minute. Jesus is here. So what makes Jesus cry when he thinks about our community? And then I thought, you know, if we have a hard time answering that question... Maybe he has more work to do among us. So we've got this weeping grace and then moving into this idea of this cleansing judgment where Jesus is in the temple and he is cleaning house, literally kicking people out. And there's this picture of the temple because he says, My house, the temple, is supposed to be a place of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. And I wanted to show you this picture of the temple. And I've been waiting for for decades to be able to pull out my little laser pointer on a Sunday morning and and show you some pictures. So this is a a mock-up of the temple. And uh, and I think, you know, uh, Matthew used to live right there, and John used to live over here. So this is the actual temple right here. Okay, so this is the court of, of, um, of women out here, and, and then men's a little bit closer. This is where the priests are, and then in this spot here is the Holy of Holies where the high priest would go. The, the court of the, the Gentiles, was everybody who was a non-Jew, was basically all the stuff out here on either side. Now, to give you an idea of the size of this, Herod the Great built this just before Jesus, and uh, this whole complex here... All of this is about 35 acres. It's massive. And at certain times of the year, it is just full of people. It is teeming with people. And that outer court, you know, the Gentiles are given this idea. You can come to God, and you can get really close to God, but you can't go past this point. We'll let you get so close to God, but you can't go any further. And the difficulty with what's happening when you're trying to understand why is Jesus so upset is because that outside area is completely filled with animals and tables and and people selling things and calling out. Um, When we lived in London, there was a street, it was a mile long of an outdoor flea market, 
Um, and every day the market was up and then it was torn down and put back up every day. And there'd be people selling anything and everything and lots of fruit and vegetables. And there'd be guys yelling out as you're walking down the street in modern day London, England, poundable, poundable. And there's all these guys shouting and it's chaos and you can hardly, you know, keep your bearings with all the noise. And it's the kind of thing that's going on here. And Jesus is saying to them, You have, instead of this place being a place of prayer for people, all people to come to God, you've turned it into this den of thieves and robbers. See, I've had people come to me over the years and say, we shouldn't be changing money in the church. You shouldn't be selling books in in the lobby because Jesus spoke against that when he cleared people out of the temple. And I thought, do you give your offering on Sunday morning? So are we not supposed to be giving offering? And I think when we, when, we, when we do this kind of thing, we miss the whole point of this. And that was just simply that Jesus was saying to his people, in your religious fervor, you're becoming the very thing that is preventing people from having access to God. And it's time for that to stop. And with tears in his eyes, he confronts it. And this is what I love, that, that grace is the overarching, underwriting principle within judgment. That with tears in his eyes, Jesus is willing to say to the religious establishment, enough of the abuse of power and violence against people who are on the outside. With tears in his eyes, but he does confront it. Because he loves his people enough that he says, this is what I want for you. And you're not going to be able to receive it until you understand what you need to let go of. So in verse 46, he says to them, my temple will be a house of prayer. You have turned it into a den of thieves. And remember I'm saying that Jesus, I think, is acting out a parable here. And what he's doing is he's helping people remember their scriptures. In the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, we refer to it as the Old Testament. In the book of Jeremiah, one of the major prophets that worked with Israel, in chapter 7, God sends Jeremiah to Israel. He says, I want you to say this to the people. Stop your evil practices. And stop saying, we've got the temple, so we're good. He says, you've actually turned this place into a den of thieves. And you can read about that in Jeremiah 7, chapter 11. And then in another place, he quotes from from Isaiah 56 when he says, "My my house will be called a house of prayer. And let me share with you just a few of the lines from Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7, where God says to Israel, I will bless the foreigners, people who are not part of you, who are on the outside. I will bless the foreigners who serve and who love God, who hold fast to my covenant. I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer, and I will accept their offerings. And so here's Jesus coming into the temple with tears in his eyes, with grace as the fundamental principle, even in judgment, and saying, enough, enough. And then he starts to remove the barriers. He literally removes the barriers that are keeping people on the outside from feeling like they can be part of the inside. And he turns over the tables and he chases out the people who are screaming and shouting and he makes a 
space for people. So in verse 45, Luke says, he entered the city, then he went to the temple, and he, and he began to drive people out. He was clearing out the temple. He was cleaning house. He was removing the barriers. Before we can create a place where people feel like they can come and worship God, first we've got to identify and remove the barriers. And I just found myself thinking again and again for the church. What are the barriers that we've put up that are keeping people from feeling like they can come and worship God? And then when the barriers are out of the way, Jesus makes space for others. Verse 47. After that, after he cleaned house, he taught them daily in the temple. In the temple. And if you read Matthew's version of this story, every, all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four stories about Jesus, all four of them include this account. And Matthew says, he taught them every day, and then that the lame people and the lepers came to him in the temple to be healed. Now, the interesting thing about this is if you're lame and you're a leper, one of the barriers that they had up for people was that you can't, you can't come into the temple if you're lame and a leper because you're unclean, and you're going to make the rest of us dirty and unclean. You're going to make us look bad. And yet those are the very people that are now coming to Jesus in the temple while he teaches them every day, and he heals them. Get rid of the barriers and then make space. Make space for everyone. I want to tell you a story. I, I don't tell a lot, talk a lot about my family when I'm preaching. But two people in my family that I've come to love over the years are my in-laws, Leslie and Lorraine Sheffer. They're 86 and 87 years old now, so they can't do as much. Some of you know them. But what I've witnessed them do uh, over 30 years, 31, 32 years of knowing them, is that this remarkable um, Mennonite-like couple, so when you think of like, you know, Mennonite kind of people that are, you know, very proper and sophisticated and quiet, soft-spoken, that's my in-laws. I have no idea how they've tolerated me for, for 30 years. They are amazing people. And I've watched them again and again and again practice amazing hospitality when they're at church on a Sunday and they just walk up to people that are newer and they do something like invite them back to their house for lunch. They create space for people on the outside and invite them in. And they've been a wonderful example. And they still do it to this day. I, I hear about people coming over to visit with them. And it's amazing. I got thinking about the temple and Jesus clearing house on the temple. And then I thought about, you know, the temple actually is, is the second thing that Israel had. Because before that, they had this thing called the tabernacle. Similar idea, but the temple was stationary. The temple was, if you want to have access to God, you've got to go to Jerusalem. Then you'll meet God. The tabernacle was mobile. 
it went with the people. And I kind of wondered, you know, what would happen if we embraced a tabernacle mentality as well as a temple mentality? That maybe revisiting the idea of tabernacle helps remove the barriers in the temple. Because the tabernacle was, we can take God with us wherever we go in this world. And we can introduce people to the presence of God, not just in a set location, but anywhere we find ourselves. And I wondered about the value of, when we think about removing barriers, of having a tabernacle mentality as well as a temple mentality. Weeping grace, cleansing judgment for the people that Jesus loves. The people he loves so much, he's willing to confront them. To confront the abuse of power, to confront, confront the types of violence that just keep people from having access to God. And I wonder, what are we doing that's affecting our ability to perceive injustice? You know, Jesus is saying to these people, you've made this into a den of thieves. And I thought, isn't that interesting? The religious institution is the very place where injustice seems to be able to hide. Like, dang. I just don't like that kind of stuff. But God, open our eyes to see if maybe there are things that are among us that are keeping us from perceiving injustice. Or maybe there's things about our faith that are preventing us from seeing Jesus the way that he longs for us to see him. And I found myself asking, what are the barriers that the church needs to remove so that people can find and follow Jesus? The big C church. And then I asked myself the question, what are some of the barriers that we need to remove here that are keeping people from finding and following Jesus? So here's what I'd like you to consider doing in light of all this. Take the time today to just list some of the barriers that you think need to be removed among us. Talk about them with people close to you. And as you write out those barriers, be honest with yourself about maybe how you contribute to those. I'm doing the same thing. And then ask God to show you how you could make space for others so that they could find and follow him. And then this week, just work on one of them. One thing. Let's remove the barriers that are keeping people from Jesus Let's make space for others so that they can find and follow Jesus. And then instead of Jesus crying, let's be the kind of people that make him smile when he's among us. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that, that even in your confronting these things, 
there's this overarching principle of grace. And when we read these passages and we try to think about how it affects us today, it's hard. Open our eyes and our hearts to see and to be willing to admit. And thank you for inviting us into your life so that, so that we can see the barriers removed. And that we can be part of this creating space community. For all those lame, lepers, the least, the last, the lost, the lonely, to feel like they could come and be part of us. God, show me what I do that's putting up barriers. Give me the courage to create space for new people. And God, for those that are here that are just hovering on the fringes, give them the courage to step further in and further up into you. And to enjoy being part of an imperfect family, but a beautiful family nonetheless. Thank you for loving us enough to act out these stories for us and to call us into living under your authority. And knowing that in doing that, we receive everything that you want for us. Amen.